Hello and welcome to episode 362 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with a review. We're going to be going over the Misfits album, Walk Among Us. And, uh, you know, this one's nice. It's got like the uh, weird creature and the UFO on the cover. You got a picture of the band. It's uh, done with a little bit of a purple hue to it. Really nice looking cover. Uh, probably their, their least scary of all of them. Uh, this was released in 1981. It is a total of 24 minutes and 38 seconds. That's the whole album. Uh, for most bands, that's a side of an album. But uh, boy, you're really getting your, your uh, money's worth when you're paying 70 bucks for a copy of the vinyl these days. But there's a lot of great songs on here. There are a total of 13 songs, which so here's the thing. Like you look at bands in the 70s, they were doing like nine songs an album and the album would be 40 some minutes. Here you're getting 13 songs for 26 minutes. It's all crazy. But, you know, the Misfits are known for their shorter songs. Sound was a little bit longer uh, for the majority of them. They didn't have uh, I don't think they had any songs that were under two minutes, but the Misfits had the occasional song that was. Uh, but this is a really nice collection of songs. Um, there are a couple, as I read through the list of songs that are on this album, um, I'm working off the box set and they didn't really put these songs in exact order per album for some of them. And this was one of them. So there are a couple of different songs that I don't know which version they are on the actual album. So I'm just going to pick a version. And I may have covered a couple of these songs on like some of the collection albums, and that's okay. Because when you hear things at a different time, you might have a different thought or feeling about it. And God, they're short enough. So plenty of time, plenty of room. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the marathon of uh, late October podcast. It just sort of came together that way. Um, I knew I was going to be reviewing Arthur Brown's album Dance for, I've known that for a while but uh, I didn't know if I was going to get to speak with him. And that was absolutely amazing. I mean, when I say bucket list guest, I really mean it. And I'm still smiling from that interview. And I did that two days ago in my time. Um, Arthur and Claire had some very nice things to say about me on social media, which I really appreciated. Uh, they shared the, the podcast episode. And um, yeah, I, I really look forward to speaking with them again. They're absolutely wonderful people and uh, not, not scary at all in real life. Uh, just goes to show the character. But it's like, you know, it, it's such an interesting persona that he takes on. And I've often wondered with guys like, you know, the the members of the Misfits, what are they like when they're not on camera? Are they just, you know, regular people that have an interesting look? Are they always in that mode? Um, it, it's It would be interesting to know because I've only ever seen interviews with them. So I don't, I've never met them uh, outside of that. Uh, but it's a, it's a curious thought for sure. Um, but this is a really good album. Uh, it's got a lot of songs I really like on it. Um, some of the songs they covered live. So there's, uh, if you have the box set or if you have Evil Live, some of these songs might be familiar from there if you're not familiar with this version. But uh, yeah, some really good stuff. So I say, let's just get right into it. I've given you guys uh, hours and hours of stuff to um, to listen to on your commutes this month. So I don't want to drag this out any further. Here is our first song. It's called 20 Eyes. Oh, 
This is a much slower version than I'm used to, believe it or not. And it comes in at a whopping two minutes and eight seconds, <laughs> the whole song. Uh, and it's mostly them singing the chorus. Um, but it's a fun song. You know, um, it's, it, they're very visual. Like you think about a song like this and you're like, wow, what would that be like to have 20 eyes? We know how to coordinate two eyes. Spiders, uh, they have so many eyes and yet they, you know, they use them however they use them. I don't know anything about how that the intricacies of how a spider's eyes work. But uh, it, it's it's just weird to think about our sight being any different or maybe being able to turn on and turn off different sets of eyes depending on like maybe one has some kind of uh, night vision or heat seeking vision or something, you know, that, that would be a reason to have more than two eyes. Um, maybe because of the way your head shaped to have eyes on the side or eyes in the back would kind of make sense. But it's it's just an interesting concept to me. Whenever I think about something that's different than I am, what it's like to control that. Like, you know, a praying mantis who has these really strong claws and really long, powerful back legs that they look like just sticks, but they're very, very intense animals or uh, insects. And um, I'm like, I don't know what that would be like. I don't know what it would be like to have pinchers for, um, you know, like on the side of my mouth or, or um, you know, claws like a scorpion or a crab. Um, I don't know what it's like to control those things. So every once in a while, it just pops into my head. I'm like, what is that like? You know, for them, it's just what they have. For me, I just have what I have. Um, but anyway, that's quite a tangent I could get into. And that might be a whole nother show someday. Or it may not be because that might just be kind of a ridiculous thought process that I alone have. But in any case, 20 Eyes, really good song. Um, this is, like I said, it's a slower version. I'm going to play you a little bit of the one that I'm used to. And uh, now I decided to for this, like for the Misfits, since their songs are so short, if I play a minute long clip, I'm playing basically half the song. And um, normally I play a minute clip for, you know, a longer song. So I'm going to do a little bit shorter clips, but it'll give you the gist of the song since the songs are typically repetitive um, lyrically and uh, they repeat choruses a lot or, um, you know, the verses are typically short. So you're going to get the gist of the song in the 30 seconds anyway. If it has a longer opening for some reason, then I'll, you know, I'll play a little bit longer. But here's the version of 20 Eyes that I'm used to. Yeah, this version I think I like better, partially probably because I heard it first, but also the other version being slower, they focus more on something that the Misfits don't do a lot of, which is vocal effects. Um, you know, I don't know whether there's multiple people singing the chorus, but there's definitely a delay in there. There's, um, you know, some some effects that we just don't normally hear with the Misfits. So this feels more on par with their typical style. Um, I never mind when bands do something a little bit different. I think that can be kind of fun. But um, I don't know, for, for them, for punk music, it seems like you could have like delays on guitars and stuff. I think that sounds natural. But when it comes to delays on vocals, that's always processed after the fact. So it just seems like it's very, you know, intended in studio uh, magic and stuff like that, as opposed to like a delay on a guitar, because you would record in with that. That would be part of your pedal setup. 
and that's just your guitar sound. Whereas, you know, your vocal sound doesn't have a delay on it or a chorus or a reverb or anything. So I don't know, it, it just gets into that territory where a punk band starts to feel studio produced. And I think that's what I don't like about it. I like them being raw and, you know, it just sounds like they just hit record, played the song and went, well, we got it and and, and walked away. Um, and I think the tempo too, I think this is a better tempo for the song, but it's a cool song either way. Um, one I've, I've always really enjoyed. Um, another one of my favorites is actually coming up next. This one's called I Turned Into a Martian. I definitely feel the same way about this one. Again, it, it feels kind of studio produced and that's fine. I mean, if that's the the theme of the album, uh, just not the versions that I'm used to, probably why I never bought this album. I think I had it on cassette, um, but I don't think I had the vinyl of it. In fact, I don't think, I don't think I had any vinyls by them. Um, Maybe I did, but I think my brother bought the vinyls. Like we split the cost. My brother had kept the vinyl and I just made a cassette copy. Because I didn't really care at the time. Now I really wish I had them because some of them are very, very expensive. But um, yeah, this is it's a cool song. But let me give you a, a little hit from the one that I'm used to. And I think this comes from the uh, the first collection. Yeah, so you can see the difference between the two. Obviously, one's very processed and studio produced. The other one's very raw and more uh, typical Misfit style. Um, but it, all the songs in the collection were like that, you know, the latter. So um, that's the version that I, I'm used to. But the other one's good, too. It's just different. You know, nothing wrong with that. Um, they probably maybe had a little bit of success and got a little bit of money and could afford to go into a studio. Because from what I've read, um, they recorded a lot of these in Glenn's basement. So not a proper studio, which I think really worked for them. I think for punk music, I like it being a little bit raw. I like it being slightly out of balance, not exactly out of balance, because you still want to be able to hear everything and enjoy the sound of it. But I think, I don't know, I just feel like punk music should have a little bit of rebel quality to it. And I think if uh, if it's too studio polished, and I think I talked about this on the last Misfits or the last Sound episode where... That's one of the things I think was a, a turnoff when uh, Danzig started Danzig after he left Samhain and started Danzig and, and everything just sounded very studio polished. And I thought, yeah, I guess this fits because it's bluesier. It's not that same punk that we're used to. But um, I don't know, it's just a little polished for me. Um, on some songs, it works. But uh, overall, it was it was less interesting to me, I think, because it was too refined. And I, I like the this style of stuff being um, just just wild and crazy and go for it. And hey, uh, we got to take it's good enough. Let's move on to the next song kind of feel. Um, our next song on here is one that uh, is is very popular for them. And I think um, 
I can't remember which album it was on now, but I think Salon redid it as well. All Hell Breaks Loose. Now, I have to be honest on this one. I'm not sure which version actually goes on this album because the box set uh, diverted a little bit here. Um, but this is the version that I'm used to. Um, if I don't think I've ever heard a version that sounded like the other two songs with that studio production. So uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a version out there I haven't heard. It's kind of weird that the box set would break up the album a little bit, but it did. And that's how it goes. But it's a cool song. I, I really dig it. Um, it's got a lot of great energy to it. And um, it's got like a cool, a cool kind of vibe, like, a you know, uh, the 50s. I, I just picture like a 50s dance sock hops, uh, sock hop, but with like skeletons. And um, I love that line, broken bodies on a death rock dance hall. Please be my partner. Um, they're very this is a very visual song for me anyway. And uh, I, even from like the first couple times I heard it, I just had these visualizations that have stuck with me over the years. But yeah, it's a cool song. Um, I dig the groove to it. Um, I like the way that it opens up and then it changes into, um, you know, the riff. I also like the fact that the rhythm guitar is a little bit louder than the lead guitar. I think it's nice to have a little bit of just backwards balance to it. Again, that's, you know, what punk is to me. It's like, you know, let's Let's just get a let's get everything a level where you can hear it, and that's how we're just going to mix it. We're not going to worry about panning or um, you know making sure that the lead guitar is over the rhythm guitar unless there's a solo, which just makes sense. Um, I like that. I like that that raw rebel feel. Um, but yeah, that's definitely um, all hell breaks loose is definitely uh, one of my you know one of my favorite songs. And we're going to move on to another awesome song. Um, this one's really, really popular with them. It's called Vampira. So this song was written about the character of Vampira. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Vampira was the predecessor of Elvira. Actually, if you go back and you watch Ed Wood with Johnny Depp, there's a very incredibly thin character uh, who's dressed uh, similar to like uh, Elvira, Morticia Adams, that kind of thing. Uh, that was Vampira. Um, that was not the original Vampira. That was an actress playing her in that movie. But there was, you know, in the preceding horror films, there was uh, Vampira, who was a very, very thin actress, um, kind of wore like this billowy uh, black dress. Um, this song was was uh, inspired by her, which is very cool. Then, of course, you know, Elvira came out and there was some kind of uh, lawsuit because uh, Vampira, I think, said that she copied her and uh, Elvira said no. And I don't know whatever happened with that or how 
how much truth there is to what happened behind that. But in any case, a really cool character. And um, if you know, if you're a fan of Johnny Depp and you haven't seen Ed Wood, it's a great movie to watch. Very different character. And, and what strikes me most about that movie is the way people talked back in that day. It was almost like they were always smiling, you know, and, and they would say, uh, for, like, I could say, hey, you know what? That's cool. I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. But they were like, that's cool. I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. Just completely different feel. And uh, I, I wasn't alive in that time. So I only have film to go on. I don't know how realistic that speech was, if that was something that people just the way they spoke in movies, or if that's how people actually spoke during that time. I think of advertisements that I've heard, and uh, they were very similar to that. But again, that's, you know, copy that they're reading. So I don't know what real speech was like, because I don't think I've heard interviews or it might have been an aerial dialect too, like, you know, some particular region. Um, I really don't know. But that's what you'll get if you watch Ed Wood and uh, a lot of fun. So that uh, that was Vampira. A really cool song. Um, There was a version of that, I think, on Collection One, which was the first version of that I heard. Um, Again, not that, you know, studio process, but very, very cool. Um, Our next song is one I've always kind of been back and forth on. Um, Some days, if if I'm listening to the album and it comes on, I'll listen to it. And other times I'll just kind of skip it. Um, Nothing against the song, really. It just isn't, to me, um, as great as the other songs. But this one's called Nike A Go-Go. Oh, and before I play the song, uh, I did look up which Samhain album um, All Hell Breaks Loose came from. Its retitle is All Hell, and it's on the Unholy Passion DVD. Or DVD. Uh, I need sleep. The Unholy Passion album, or EP, uh, which I will be covering later, and uh, we'll get to hear that version then. They changed it from All Hell Breaks Loose to All Hell. Still a cool song, but that's all right, because we're not listening to that. Here's Nike A Go-Go. Again, another slower version from what I'm used to. It, it's almost like a producer came in and said, guys, 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 you're just blowing through these songs. So let's slow down and take a breath with each one of them. Um, I feel like that's what must have happened uh, because it's very, it just feels very, um, the whole album feels very misfits without being the misfits, I should say. But it's a cool song. Um, there's a, a nice uh, version of it on Evil Live that's, incredibly fast like evil live is the opposite of this where this slows songs down um evil live speeds everything up they were just like ripping through songs live they could have done 100 songs in probably 35 minutes and uh and it was just ridiculous how fast they were playing live so if you haven't heard evil live that would be a good um a good way to check out what they were like in on stage but um, this is, I mean, it's an okay song. I think I just disagree or, or don't really get excited by the term a go-go. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a big period piece kind of guy. And I think anything that just has immediately pulls up images for me of 
bell bottoms and bouffant hair and people just dancing and cameras zooming in and out. I, it just, I don't know. It's just, there's something about that, that phrase that gives it a weird um, connotation to me. And I'm, I'm probably tying it to something like the show laugh in or uh, you know, some earlier childhood memory, but for some reason, like a go-go just has never, um, I don't know. It's just a weird kind of phrase to me. It's, it's never really excited me. And the song's okay. At this tempo, I really don't like it. Um, it's too slow. The uh, the version that I'm used to also has a nice buzz roll in the main beat, which you don't get here. So it's like less dynamic, it's less exciting, and it's slower and produced. So not my favorite song, but you know what? That's quite okay, because next up is one of my absolute favorite Misfit songs. This one is called Hate Breeders. song is not bad. Uh, musically, it's very similar to the version that I'm used to. And I actually don't know where the version I'm used to came from. It might have been one that was done as a single and not part of any album because I don't think it was on either collection. Um, not sure how it came into my uh, peripheral, but this one, it's kind of weird. It's, 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 there's not a lot of passion coming out of Glenn on this one, which is really rare for him. He's usually very passionate in, in everything he sings about. Uh, at least through through this era and Samhain, um with with Danzig, like I said, it's more bluesy, so it's more about you know playing up for the song. But um, on this stuff, very you know you you feel him on every song, and um, like it starts with his voice almost cracking or or cracking slightly, and I don't know, it's just it's not to me um, a great version. So I'm going to play a little bit of the version that I'm used to. And uh, again, I'm not sure where it's from. If anybody knows, please let me know. one that oddly enough seems very uh cohesively produced and and yet I really like it. I like it better than the more raw version. So it's it's a little contrary to what I've been saying about the band, 
But uh, yeah, I've always really, really liked this song. There's a, a really good feel about it. I feel the vocal is much more passionate, which is a big driving force. Musically, it's very similar, um, similar tempo and, and uh, playing is similar. But uh, vocally, I think there's a much better delivery. And overall, I think the, just the production on it is, is better. But uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorite songs. Um, here we go a little off kilter because the next song on here is a live version of Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? Um, I don't typically play live versions on the song unless it's the version, another copy of the version that's on Evil Live. Uh, I d it's not on the box set, so I'm not sure where it would come from. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was from Evil Live. Uh, I don't know what the order of those would be or went from like from the time it was recorded to the time it was released would, would be different dates anyway. But um, yeah, so I'm going to skip that one. But I will go to our next song, which is, again, out of order on the box set. I don't know if this is the right version, but we're going to hear a little bit of it anyway. Night of the Living Dead. Listen to that buzz coming out of the drums. That's uh, that's pretty wild. I don't know if they just took the the snare strainer and uh, I, I don't know because the snare itself sounds kind of tight, so it doesn't seem like it would have that buzz. I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe they put some trinkets on the floor tom and uh, got it to do that. I don't know. It doesn't sound like distortion to me, but uh, it, it's you know it's kind of cool for punk, I guess. But not not again. You know, it's not the version that I'm used to, and I'm not exactly sure where this version came from, but. It's a cool song, um, obviously inspired by the movie Night of the Living Dead. Um, I wish they would have written some songs about Return of the Living Dead, but I think they were already done or close to done by the time that that movie first came out. Um, Night of the Living Dead was okay. I mean, if I had been around at that time, I think I would have found it pretty terrifying. But um, for me, it was I think I saw Return of the Living Dead first. And then by the time, if you see Return of the Living Dead first and then you see Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead really doesn't have a lot of sustaining power right it's um it's a cool movie but it's kind of understated and and not very uh intense um but uh in fact when i was at uh, tom devlin's monster museum here in vegas well it's in boulder city uh which is about 20 or so minutes outside of las vegas off the boulder highway and a uh, really cool place but he had the um the tar man he had recreated the tar man he was uh in his barrel of tar and uh, did a, an amazing job recreating that. Um, that was one of the highlights for me. Um, that was always been one of my favorite characters, you know, uh, from the first Return of the Living Dead. Uh, if you haven't seen it, they're they're kind of parody, but they're also kind of intense and fun at the same time. And uh, I really enjoyed those. By the time it got to the third one, I was like, okay, I don't. I think the premise is kind of a stretch here, as if bringing the dead back from their graves is not a stretch of a premise. But by the time it was like the third one and her dad's working at this lab and I don't know, it just, it was like really stretching the the story for me. Uh, then I haven't seen the last two, the rave to the grave and whatever the last one was. Um, 
Necropolis, I think, is one of them. But um, yeah, I haven't seen those two, but the first two were absolutely fantastic. Highly recommend, especially if you can appreciate a little bit of cheeky humor, a little bit of comedy in a, in a horror movie um, or parody, I should say. Uh, very cool stuff, though. And uh, it has spawned uh, quite a, a lot of interest, especially the Tar Man. He's definitely a very cool character. Uh, so that was Night of the Living Dead. A uh, very cool song. Again, not the version that I'm used to, but uh, a pretty decent one, just the same. Um, our next song coming up is called Skulls. Yeah, I feel like this could be from this album. Uh, it, it has that produced quality to it, very similar to the rest of the album. So I think that's very possible. Um, this is a cool song, though. Uh, there is a couple of different versions out there. Um, one has like a really long fade. But what I like about this version in particular is the drums, because you hear that he's actually hitting the bass drum on one, two, three and four. And the snare is just on two and four. And it adds, uh, you know, a little bit of punch, a little bit of low end to the thing. And that's actually a very common style for this band. I don't know how common that is in punk overall, because I don't listen to a lot of punk. But um, definitely for the Misfits, it was very, very common that you would just, you know, hit the hit the bass drum while you're hitting the snare. Um, whereas in rock, you would hit it opposing hitting the snare or on a, on a you know, as part of the beat, but not typically with the snare. Um or if you're Lee Kerslake, you'll hit a crash with the snare, which is very common for him. But uh, yeah, this is a cool song. I've always liked the mood of this song. Um, it, it feels kind of um, like you could do a version of this where the singer is completely catatonic, like, I want your skull. I need your skull. And it would really work, especially if you pitched it up like that. I think that would be fun. But it's just a straight, you know, punk song with Glenn behind the, the vocal mic. Uh, I think it works really well. I like the backing vocals in this song, too. I think they're very well done. They add a little bit of darkness to it, I think, more than, you know, like a harmony or a thickening. I think they add a little bit of uh, creepiness factor, which is definitely welcome in a song where they're like, I want your skull. I need your skull. So uh, can't have it. At least not right now. Our next song is called Violent World. This one is actually the one that goes back to being in line with the album, the way it appears on the box set. So I feel pretty confident that this is the one from the actual LP. Let's check it out. This is one I've never, um, it's not one of my favorites. I'll put it that way. I don't dislike the song, but it's not one that particularly excites me. Um, it almost feels a little too commercial or I don't it just, it doesn't sound like their typical style, you know, or what I've come to love with them. It feels very much like they, they geared up the chorus to, uh, work. I don't know. There's just something about it. I, I, I'm not sure I can even pinpoint it. So I don't want to speculate too much. 
but it's uh, it's it's definitely been one of my um, one of my lesser favorite misfit songs. I'll put it that way. Um, and I do apologize. Actually, our next couple of songs are in in the area on the CD of the box set where all of the Walk Among Us songs are, but they're completely out of order. So uh, we'll just we'll just see what we're getting into here. Our next one is called Devil's Whorehouse or the Haskin household on a Friday night. This is one, honestly, that I would put in the same category as Violent World, like um, maybe a little bit above it, because sometimes I'll listen to it and I'll really enjoy it. And sometimes I'll start listening to it and I'll go, ah, I want to get to the next song because the next song is one of my favorites and uh, and I might skip it. So I would say probably 50% of the time, whereas Violent World, I skip, I, I want to say most of the time, if I um, if I can reach the MP3 player or you know my iPod fast enough uh, considering how short these songs are, it's not always the easiest to actually reach it, turn on the screen, and hit forward uh, before the song's actually over. So uh, yeah, it's it's better. Um, I like the chorus of it. I think the chorus is pretty cool. But the verse, I don't know, it's just kind of um, bland. It really doesn't um, excite me that much. But you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Not every single song by a band can be one that you're just like, oh my God, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. Um, certainly not the case. Our next song, however, is like the greatest song I've ever heard. This is called Astro Zombies. face drops in a pile of flesh and your heart heart pounds till it pumps in death. I love that line. Um, absolutely love that line. It's very visual. I'm not sure which um, which movie inspired this. It might have been uh, uh, like Plan 9 from Outer Space, but it was definitely a, uh, and, and I know they're familiar with that movie because one of their albums was, or the Plan 9 records. But um, yeah, I don't know which one inspired it, but it was definitely like one of those 50s UFO movies. A really cool song, though. I really love this one. It's got such a great feel to it. Nice transitions. Um, this one's uh, not even that long. It's only two minutes and 15 seconds. Jeez, they, they actually get so much done in a short period of time, but they don't really fill an album. So it's like, yeah, you're getting a bunch of songs, but you're also not getting a lot of time involved. So it kind of feels like you're not really getting that much bang for your buck uh, to meet because of what we're conditioned to, like more like four or five minute songs. Or if you're, you know, somebody who, like me who listens to progressive music, you're like nine to 15 minute songs. And um, you definitely don't feel like you're getting your value. So those sides are very short, you know, on an album, whereas like uh, an album like in the Court of the Crimson King, they're much longer. But uh, yeah, Astro Zombie is one of my favorite, favorite songs. And now we're going to get to the last track on the album. This one is called Brain Eaters. Oi, oi, oi! 
I feel like if comedian Tim Allen were to write a punk song inspired by horror, it would be this. You know, the the men grunting kind of thing. This also always brings back to mind that scene from Lord of the Rings. I think it was The Two Towers when uh, the uh, orcs have have captured the hobbits and they're taking them back to Sauron and, or Saruman and um, the different guys or, or the different races that are there like fighting over whether they can eat the hobbits or not. And then they're like, well, we can eat this part of them. They don't need that. Um, and then that big fight ensues. It just kind of reminds me about, you know, we haven't, we haven't had anything but maggoty bread. Uh, we want some meat and, uh, really kind of fits the, the theme of the song. Um, again, not one of my favorites, but, um, but a cool song. I mean, it definitely fits within the collection. I like the, the feel of it overall. It's a fairly short song. So it's like, again, by the time that you get to the, um, the button where you forward it to the next track, the song's almost over. So you might as well not even bother, but it's, it's good because it features like the, the group on vocals, which is is nice in a little more aggressive manner. I think having the voices that they had in the band really helped for something like this. But uh, yeah, it's a cool song. Overall, probably I would say my least favorite Misfits album only because of the production for a lot of it. And remember, like half of the the songs that we heard in the second half of this podcast were not um, the song versions from the album. They were the, um, you know, they were just versions that I have because I don't know which ones came from the album for sure. And they, some of them didn't match the production. So we know that they're not right. But uh, yeah, probably my, my least favorite of all of them. I think Legacy of Brutality, which I think was the first one I covered on the show, that would be my favorite. Um, that's got some of my favorite songs on there, uh, except for Die, Die, My Darling. But I've always loved that, like with American Nightmare and uh, Spinal Remains and songs like that. But this is a good album, too. It's, uh, it almost feels like this is what they were... Or could have been if they had a, like an outside producer. Uh, it has that, like I said, that that studio sound to it. it. There's effects on some of the vocals. It definitely has a different feel than the rest of their stuff. But it's almost like somebody trying to direct them and get them to be a commercial success, which doesn't really work for a band like this. They're a cult following underground band, and um, that's how they'll pretty much always always be. There are some decent uh, prices that you can find for their vinyls if you're looking for them. It looks like some of them were reissued on 180 gram, which is nice. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. That was Salon that, that uh, was reissued. I don't think the Misfit stuff was. But they did actually, I just saw this, they, um, they did release the box set on iTunes. So all of this that, uh, that I played from is there. It's uh, all the albums plus the uh, Evil Live album. And then, like I said, there's some demo stuff on there that wasn't on the albums. And there's some stuff I suspect that they just missed in the process of it. Like that version of Hate Breeders is not on the box set. Um, but yeah, overall, it's a, it's a pretty decent album. Just happens to be my least favorite. But uh, nothing wrong with the songs, the performances or the writing. I think it's for me, it just goes down to more in the production. And that is where we are today at the end of this podcast. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed the review. If, uh, you know, if you like this stuff, go check it out. Uh, hear the full songs. They don't take that much longer than <laughs> than what I played, to be honest, but they're uh, a lot of fun. Um, so for tomorrow's podcast, um, when John Matola was on and, and our talk just stretched into oblivion, we weren't sure if we were going to do a part two this year or not. So I'm just going to give you the spoiler alert. We did it. And it comes out tomorrow. We'll see you guys then. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>